We're still working out of Luke 15 this morning, and I invite you to turn there. Luke 15, we're going to start at verse 25. As you're finding that, uh, I don't know about you, but just at one point during that song, uh, Reckless Love, my heart just kind of melted. Um, and I was all week long, um, I've been reflecting actually on uh, a word of witness from one of our folks who has gone home to be with the Lord, Ruth Reichel, who many of you knew from, she came here from the 60s on, passed away a few years ago, and um, many of us have many wonderful stories of Ruth, if you've been here for more than a few years, um, and sometimes Ruth came across a little uh, harder in public life. She was a softy, an absolute softy, and I remember my first visit with her, it still rings in my head because I, the sentiment that she reflected I want us to hear this morning, which is, she had an evangelistic heart. I mean, she wanted everybody to know Jesus. And with tears in her eyes, the first time I sat down with Ruth for a, a pastor visit as her pastor, she just cried and she said, oh Jesus, I love him so. The sermon today, as we look at the older son, is for all those who are far from God. Even if you love Jesus, but you feel far, call us to come home. So let's read Luke 15, starting at verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if we look at the audience, we did a little of this the first week, two weeks ago, and we, we looked at this. But it's, it's really important that we see it this week. The audience, back in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15... These will pop up on the screen. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, that's the sinners and the super sinners, as people would perceive them, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees were a fairly small, proportionately group within uh, the, the world of Jesus, but they held a lot of sway. They practiced the law and they practiced extra laws so that they wouldn't uh, break the law given by God. The teachers of the law were in the same category. These people were all experts at how to look and live exactly like the law prescribed, so they looked faithful. There are ancient uh, sources from the days of Jesus that talk, and just a little after, that talk about the types of Pharisees. They're kind of fun to, to read. That names five types of Pharisees, only one of which was faithful. The other four were hypocrites in various ways. And so you could kind of say four out of five Pharisees tended to be hypocrites about it, but they looked very faithful in the process. Um, 
And so the, the issue with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are the older son. Let's just not make any qualms about that. They're the older son in the story. Um, they're really kind of the people that Jesus is targeting as he's telling the story. Of course, he has in mind these sinners and tax collectors too, but they're going to receive the story much better than the Pharisees and teachers of the law. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law focus on ritual for obedience sake, and they have the look of obedience, but they lack the heart that should go with obedience. They lack the heart that loves the Father. That's kind of, kind of what's going on. So if you can imagine the situation where you have two kids in a family, and one of them's misbehaving, and one of them's not, and the one that's not wants the attention, I'm being good, look at me, that's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're trying to look like that. Now, there's good intent behind that. I mean, the original intent was not to be influenced by the culture coming around that would want them to break the law. But over time, uh, it became just uh, a matter of the ritual itself as what they were fulfilling. As we review what happens in the parable, uh, we can look back at the father and the younger son just to remind ourselves of where we are in the story. The younger son has gone to the father. He said, give me my stuff. He goes and spends it recklessly. Thus, you get the word prodigal applied to this, which isn't in the text. It's just been applied over the years. Somebody who spends recklessly or wantonly uses up the resources or the money. Then he comes to his senses when he's at the very rock bottom of life. And we didn't make much of that term last week, but come to his senses really means repent is what it means. Right? He's at the very end of the line, and to repent, he looks that he's doing the wrong thing, and he turns, and he goes back home. That's repentance, very simply. He comes to his senses. When he gets home, there's great joy and celebration that this kid who was lost is now found. He was dead, and now he's alive again. But what you can see, the contrast by that point when we get to the older son is that with the older son now, you, have this, you see this person who has no joy as they're joyously celebrating. You see this person who has no sense of celebration that the lost is found, that his brother is back again. He doesn't seem to care. He cares. He just doesn't care that he's found. He cares on how it affects him negatively. There's no sense of repentance in this older son's life, and there's no change of heart that appears to happen in his attitude, because clearly his attitude is wrong, even though he looks right and plays the part. And so if we look at the relationship of the father to the older son, we can see some of the problems that are there, and some of what we should see potentially in ourselves or avoid in our own relationship with the father. If you go to verses 25 and 26 again, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So they're parting at the house. The older son is in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. So he gets the news from one of his servants. He's far from the house. He's not connected with the life of the house in any way. And Jesus is telling the story so that we intentionally recognize this guy's got a distant relationship with the household and with his father. That's what we're supposed to catch. He's getting the news from a servant. He's not connected with the father of the house. He's doing all this stuff. He just has no relational connection there that's worth talking about. Now, he, and the older son, he lacks joy, we've already said, and he appears to serve his father out of duty, but he's exactly like his younger brother, in a sense. His younger brother just wanted the stuff, and guess what? He doesn't love his father for his father's sake. He loves his father for his stuff that he can get. We see that play out in the story. And it's been claimed that the church is filled with a lot of older sons. 
church, broadly speaking, is filled with a lot of older sons. You can agree or disagree with that, but I can quite guarantee that every church I've been involved in and every church I've been in has older sons. I can be an older son sometimes. Sometimes we can revert to this easily if we've been in the church for a long time. And, and we can, a telltale sign of older sons in the church, and you get this around the edge of the church, people who kind of claim the faith but don't really go to church. I talk to a lot of them on the phone, actually. They call because they want pastoral advice, but they don't want to come to the church. It's an interesting phenomenon. The church is filled with older sons, though. That's the claim. And older sons follow the morals of the Christian life, but have little interest in building God's kingdom or actually being like Jesus. You hear the distinction there? They want the morals, and they think that's what it boils down to, but they actually don't have an interest in building God's kingdom or becoming like Jesus, right? The, the idea of don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do is Christianity to them. Just follow the morals, and you are okay. And the evidence can be seen, if we want to see where the evidence comes out, it's seen in the giving patterns of people who are older sons, right? People who are fully and wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus tend to give a lot more. Older sons give something, but a lot less. The engagement level, they're engaged in things to a marginal degree, but not deeply when it comes to church life. To sharing faith and inviting people, nope, not going to do that. Maybe rarely. And engagement with scripture and prayer might look a little different, that they might be highly engaged with scripture and a particular kind of prayer life, but it's going to be the same thing over and over and only the comfortable verses and not the challenging stuff. See, the, we don't want to be like older sons, actually. I don't know, maybe you do, but I hope you don't. We don't want to be like older sons. We've already talked this, this year about being a people of high invitation and high challenge because that's who Jesus was. We want to be like him. He invited people into this life and he challenged people to become more like him is what he's doing. To be more like the father, if you want to put it in terms of the parable. But older sons follow the morals of the Christian life, but they don't have real, in, real interest in building the kingdom or becoming more like Jesus Christ. But the thing is, older sons get incensed when the culture around them doesn't live by the morals and abide by the rules, but don't actively stay connected with the body of believers that wants to build the kingdom and be more like Jesus. Right? They look the part in many ways, and in really positive ways, but they don't have the heart. And for the older son in this story, his heart is not right with the father. Not at all. And that's just completely obvious as you read it. He'd been obedient, but unloving. And he's just as lost as his brother in that case. Instead of that, he should be obedient because he loves his father. And by loving his father, he will never lose, but he thinks he will when his brother comes back. Here's the good news this morning. The good news is that with God as our father, our spiritual inheritance is greater each day, and it will never run out. Our spiritual inheritance, it turns out, is available right now and has real-life effects. And there are two things that we can say that if we live as older sons, we are lacking, that we should have. They are joy and the Holy Spirit, among many other things. Those are the two things we'll focus on for now. Joy and the Holy Spirit. The older son lacks joy. He's a joyless individual. 
Joy, zillion different definitions of it. Let's go with this one this morning because it works. State, a state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. And in that sense, it's, it's adequate for our purposes to say that joy is something like a battery within us rather than happiness, which is affected by uh, our external circumstances. Is the weather good or bad? That determines whether I'm happy. Are people nice to me or not? That determines whether I'm happy. Joy doesn't rely on that. Joy goes in the opposite direction. God fills us, and that works like a battery being recharged, and then that comes out of us. Joy, by definition, has to come out to be joy. We're delighted in serving God and in knowing that our salvation comes from the Lord. And external circumstances won't affect that joy. In fact, we'll affect those external circumstances with our joy is what will happen. Joy, as a result, cannot be commanded, though. I can't say to you right now, be joyful on your couch at home and make it happen, right? It's got to be the work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at work in us that makes us joyful. He's got no joy. Older sons don't have joy. Go to verses 28 and 29. It says, The older brother became angry when he discovered that his brother came home, when his father comes out to him. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He's got a sense of duty, but with it comes a sense of selfishness. What can I get out of this? There's no joy there. There's just get and receive and take. And you can see when Jesus is speaking and, he's, and the Pharisees are in view and they're hearing this, here's how the Pharisees operate, just as one example of how they could live the law, uh, but in living the law, they could kind of manufacture their own boundaries to extend it. Literally, one thing that they could do is if you could take on the Sabbath, which they were supposed to respect, honor the Sabbath, right? This is one of the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath. They could take a Sabbath day journey, which is not that far, a certain amount of paces that a, a, a person could take on the Sabbath. Well, you can only take a certain amount of paces from your boundary stone. So if on Friday afternoon, you moved your boundary stone just a little further out so that by Friday night when the Sabbath starts, that next Saturday morning, uh, you could then take a slightly longer walk, you've obeyed the law, haven't you? But you've missed the heart of the matter. And they would do things like this. That's how an older son operates. And the problem with that is then we set up the wrong expectations of what God is up to. And when we do that, then we can always blame God and blame others for the problems that come along. And we can get frustrated when the Father doesn't meet our expectations, but they weren't the right expectations to begin with. And we didn't have the heart. We blame the Father, though the expectations were wrong on our part. It's our fault when those things happen. Joy isn't going to be affected by those things. Joy, it, it, we need to have the right heart. And if you follow Jesus and have the heart for Jesus, you're going to have joy. He's going to fill you up with that. I was reflecting on this with my own story of coming to Jesus because I, I came to Christ at a very early age. I was nurtured in this place, in fact. If you didn't know, I grew up in this church and was gone for about 15 years, and then they called me back. I don't think it was a mistake. You guys can be the judge on that. I like being here, so uh, I feel called to it, and more so than ever, and I love being here as your pastor. But to follow, uh, in my own conversion, 
you know, I was nurtured in the faith, and, and it really, I had to own it in my teenage years. But really, that joy of the Lord, it was there. But it really wasn't until my last few weeks of college that I really, really gave myself fully over to Jesus. Right? I was studying theology, and I kind of got dry. I kind of got like an older son by the end of my college time. It became rote. It became ritual. It became just what I did. And it wasn't until those last five weeks that God really grabbed me and said, I want all of you right now. I don't just want you to follow these motions. I don't just want you to, to read the text and kind of just enjoy academically studying it. There's something more to this. I want you right now. And I remember the joy of the Lord sensing it in a different way than I have ever experienced it. To follow Jesus, you must have joy. Jesus has to get a grip on your heart, not just the ritual for that to happen. You have to love the Father himself. And what's really interesting in this story is you look at it, it's hard for the older son. We can, we can actually understand why. Because if you look at the actions of the younger son, they cost the father. Right? It costs the father a lot when the younger son decides to leave and take his inheritance. But can we also consider when the younger son comes back, it actually costs the older brother. Because now he's welcomed in as a son again with full inheritance rights. As far as we can tell, that's what would happen. So now the divided property is going to be divided again from the older son's portion. Or at least that's the perception. The older son is eating sour grapes. He's bitter and angry. If I may say, uh, we said the church, it's claimed, is filled with older sons. Could be the case. But can I just suggest that the perception to many people outside of the church is that it's filled with older sons, whether it is or not? There are lots of younger sons outside our doors who are afraid to come in because they think there are a lot of older sons in the church who are just going to judge them and be angry that they came in and push them away. They may not put it in those terms, but that's what they're feeling. Stephanie and I, my wife Stephanie and I were talking, we were uh, away with the family on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week. We were driving back from a short vacation, and uh, as we were coming back, we were talking about this, and Stephanie pointed out uh, she's a personal trainer at the YMCA, so she was talking about how a lot of people are afraid to come into the gym because they feel like they need to get healthy or lose a certain amount of weight first before they come back to the very place that's supposed to help them get healthy and lose weight. It's the same with the church. There are a lot of younger sons sitting out there who are thinking, I need to get right before I can come in there, otherwise the older sons are going to judge me when I come in. Again, they're not putting it in those terms, but they're feeling that. If you notice what the father does to the younger son, he clothes him and then he says, now come in. Now let's get right. He brings him in first. But lots of older sons are unsure when we're in the church as older sons, we're unsure of how to act when unbelievers and new people come into the ranks. And I've seen it in every church I've been in where uh, we kind of have that older son mentality without realizing it. Sometime a person can be attending for two, even three years in some cases, and I'll watch them get greeted like it's their first Sunday because they were sitting in the back, they were quiet. They didn't make a lot of noise. And we didn't see them. Or when they need to be included in the life of the church, sometimes the systems just work so well on their own that it's hard to include them in the system as they get involved because we know the system and we just keep going and it keeps rolling. 
and it has no room for new people to come in. There are a lot of younger sons out there who want to come in. The question is, do we have a place for them? And can we see them? Do those of us who are already in the Father's house care about those who are still eating at the pig trough? I got to tell you, I've seen enough people eating at the pig trough in my life. You probably have too. I mean, as a pastor, I get to see it in different ways. I get to hear stories of people who stopped eating at the pig trough and came in. I love those stories. Tell me more of those stories. But I've seen and continue to see enough people eating at the pig trough who don't realize that there's a feast awaiting for them at the house. I've seen enough people eating at the pig trough, but I've been welcomed into the house, and I'm grateful for that. Anybody else in the house grateful for being welcomed into the Father's home? I'm truly joyful about this, and it won't do for me to allow other people to eat the pods of the pigs if I've been invited into the house by the Father. That simply won't do when there's a feast that the Father has for us. And if I've got the joy of the Lord in me, that's got to come out. Older sons don't have that. Older sons don't invite people into the house. The Father does. Who do we really want to be like? Secondly, now Jesus doesn't say it, but if, we're, if we have the spirit of the older son living in us, we lack the Holy Spirit actually dictating how we're supposed to act and behave. And I think one of the most surprising parts of the parable is the end. Verses 31 and 32. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This whole ending would have been a surprise to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, because one, it kind of hangs there for them to make their choice. Are you like this older brother, this older son, or are you like the son who comes home? Right? It's left open for them to make that choice. Younger son comes home. We know the answer, but what about this older son? Are you going to stand there just eating sour grapes, and that's where it ends for you? But I think it's a surprise to us if we're believers, too. He says, everything I have is yours. And I think sometimes we forget that. Right? Is it a surprise to you? Right now, if you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have access to the inheritance. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you a couple things that it means, but chiefly it means that we have God's power working in and through you and through us. And that brings joy overflowing. Some of us might hear that and say, well, I was hoping maybe there'd be more of a monetary element to that or something like that. But it's, I, I think we don't want to miss the point. It's sort of like when, when people say, you know, if you've got a genie with three wishes, what do you wish for? More genies or more wishes or something like that. The power of God is working through you if you follow Jesus Christ. Anybody excited about that in the house? That's an amazing thing. And with the Holy Spirit, you never lack the Father's presence. We're never outside of the home, waiting for the servant to tell us what's going on in the house. We have direct access to the Father without the voice crack. Jesus, remarkably, when he's, when he's giving final instructions to his, his disciples, go, baptize, teach everything I've commanded. By the way, I'm with you always. What a remarkable statement. How is he with us always? The Holy Spirit is with us. 
God's presence is never far away, and we have the Father's presence near us at all times with Jesus Christ. And the joy of the Lord will be in us because of that. Secondly, with the Holy Spirit, you don't just have access to the Father's presence, you have access to the Father's inheritance now. Right? There's never a lack of land with God. There's no scarcity with God. The older son is concerned now, even though it doesn't fully say it, it's behind the lines that now all of a sudden what he has is going to be diminished in value because the younger son is back. And what a loser he is, right? He went away and came home. Dad doesn't see it. But guess what? The more people that get added to the kingdom, the better it gets the better it gets. There's no scarcity with God. And we may have morals without the Father in this life, and that's wonderful, and that seems fine, but they exist in a troubled world, and those morals can't fix the troubles of this world. They just never will. But if we seek his kingdom and receive the future that Jesus has for us, we transcend and overcome the troubles of this world because the kingdom is going to outdo those and push those away and justify this world of sin and make it right. It's way beyond morals. We will live where God's glory shines brighter than the sun eventually, but we get to experience that now. And the joy of the Lord in us allows us to walk through those trials, but not be consumed by those trials. Finally, thirdly, with the Holy Spirit, you are members of the Father's family. Thus, we are able to do together the Father's ministry together that we couldn't do apart, expanding the kingdom and experiencing his joy together. As people living in the Father's house, our job is to encourage that joy to be present among us, and encourage disciplines that foster that joy and foster the love of the Father among us. Not out of duty, but because we love the Father. So that when we go through those trials, we do it together by the power of the Holy Spirit who gathers us together. One of the remarkable things about this period of time is we've got people at home and in the building, two services at the same time functionally, is that the Holy Spirit gathers us together. You are not just individuals in a room and on a couch at home together. It's the Holy Spirit who gathers us and makes us a church. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. We didn't just end up in the same room together out of chance. So, as we bring this to a conclusion before we go to the table, how goes your walk with Christ this morning? Do you have the joy the Lord that comes from your salvation in you this morning. One way to kind of sense if you have that joy is that you don't dread the question, how goes your walk with Christ? It's okay to answer it even if you say I'm far. I'm not sure where I am. That's why we have the body of believers to walk together in those moments. We don't want to dread the question even if you feel far we want to gather with our brothers and sisters by the power of the Holy Spirit so we can come close and come home again. How goes your walk with Christ? Do you have the joy that comes from your salvation? You can also tell if you have the joy that comes from your salvation in the Lord if you are wearing the clothing of the Father and you desire what the Father desires. If you have the heart of the Father, that his kingdom would grow and that you and those around you would be transformed to be like Christ. 
Secondly, do you have the Holy Spirit working in you when we answer, how goes your walk with Christ? That is, are you actively praying for the chance to share or invite people into the Father's house? Both in relationship with Jesus and with his church. They go together. Are you actively praying for the chance to share and invite people into the Father's house? And are you excited to worship with others, even if you have to do it at home? Are you excited to worship with other believers and engage in ministry together? The exciting thing is that with God, our, as our Father, our spiritual inheritance is greater each day. It's never going to diminish. It's only going to get bigger and better each day. Every day is going to be better with Jesus Christ, even the bad ones. Our spiritual inheritance is available now, and joy begins with loving the Father. All that the Father has is already available for us to begin enjoying when you're part of the family. Have you taken his offer to come home and feast at the party? Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare for the table, prepare our hearts now. We will pray to confess in a moment, but right now, Lord, give us the conviction through your Holy Spirit of where we need to be with you and where we are currently so that we're not fooled. So that we're not fooled into guilt, into thinking that we are okay when we're distant, and we're not fooled into thinking that we're closer than we are. Lord, we want to come in and feast at your house and invite others in. Give us that heart. Amen.